Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Alexi, the CTO and co-founder of Datadog, and we discuss the Datadog origin story, building a strong relationship with the open source community, and the benefits of bringing in talent that is driven and excited by the day-to-day. Also, our friends at Datadog have been nice enough to offer a free t-shirt to listeners of our podcast, so all you have to do is head over to datadoghq.com forward slash modern CTO and check them out. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello. Hey. Hey, Joel. Hey, buddy. How are you doing, man? Good. How are you? We're here. We're doing it. Are you excited? Yeah. So happy new year, by the way, I guess to, to both of you. Happy New Year! Yeah, where where are you celebrating? Where are you at right now? Uh, I'm uh, I'm in New York, so this is I'm just in the office. Just to get to see, I don't know what you can see behind me. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, New York City. What part of New York? Uh, New York Times Square. Ah, um, all right. Yeah. There you go. Is that is it pretty exciting? <sighs> well, you know, it depends. Um, it's an acquired taste. I'll say that. How was the big New Year's like? Oh, I don't know. I never, I never go there because it's it gets pretty rowdy. It's actually, we um we're close enough to Times Square that it's really hard to get to the office that day. So most people just don't even bother. It gets you, know, you have people standing in line for hours, like literally for the entire day in Times Square, waiting for the ball to drop. So that's the kind of thing you do once, and then you kind of never do it again. I have no desire. There's not a bone in my body that desires to stand in a crowd all day to watch the ball drop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you're, uh, yeah. When I remember when I, I guess uh, many, many years ago, I, I, I tried to do it and then I got discouraged and I said, ah, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. There's not, there's not a, a huge reward or payoff because you can sit there on your couch and yeah. you can just watch it and you can yeah. not only do that but you get the music you get the multiple people yeah. you get different cities it's like it's wonderful it's a wonderful experience yeah yeah that's all right awesome so like i want to take it back to the beginning right to like where did you grow up uh i grew up in france um in a in a you know medium-sized city um relatively far from paris you know at least uh, scaled to the to the country um and it's a sort of it's it's still a university town. My my parents um, were were teaching at a university, and um, it was kind of a quiet life. You know, there's not not much not compared to New York. Not much, you know. Uh, it's a very different level of excitement or of energy. And so you, you grew up there, and then at the age of ten, you designed Datadog, or is there like stuff in the middle? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's it will be a very different, you know, very long road before we get to Datadog. So, um, I did get exposed to computers reasonably early on. I think um, I remember my parents bought a um, a ZX Spectrum from Sinclair uh, Computers, who was a I think a British manufacturer in the eighties. So that's that's the first computer I got uh, really to to use at home. It had a had a tape player, a cassette player. That's how you load the, you know, whatever software. And at, at that age, it was mostly games I was interested in, as you can imagine. Um, but it was it was an early, uh, you know, contact with with computers. Then um, uh, then I picked up more, you know, got an upgrade to 
I think it was an Atari maybe, um, and and tried to dabble a little bit in encoding, but that's I'd say it remained mostly um, definitely a hobby thing, and not really. Um, I didn't go really deep back then. Um, you know, throughout throughout my youth, I was mostly you know in school um, studying, and um, and so you know, I'll fast forward a little bit. You know, go to college. Um, when I graduated college, I I got a chance to intern um, in the U.S. in in New York, uh, well, New York State, just a slightly you know upstate from from New York City, for IBM, um, one of their um, R&D center, and I was really excited because it's, it's I always had the desire to um, to live and you know work, but but live abroad for some period of time. Um, so this is where I'd say you know IBM is where I really started my you know my career, but really to use computers professionally before it was you know a lot of meddling around. Um, I I you know I was when in college I was uh, you know, this this is also the the days when uh, Linux was coming um, sort of coming out on the scene. So I had a pile of uh, floppy disks to install Slackware. So again, that kind of dates when I went to college. Um, and so I'd spend you know probably I spent half of my time installing that, and then the other half of time trying to make something useful out of it, which was um, you know I'd say uh, not not always uh, not always brilliant results. The one thing that came out, which will link, um, link me to Datadog much later, is when in college, um, as I, you know, I had a sort of brand new Linux uh, installation set up, and I was, I was trying to learn the tools and, and trying to figure out what was running on the network. So um, I was end mapping around like crazy. And at some point, um, one day, you know, after after a day of, of exploring the network, I come back, you know, I go to class and I come back and and there's no network. Like the, the port is dead. It's like, oh, it's just, this was fairly cranky old hardware. So I said, oh, maybe just the, the car died. I'm just gonna go talk to the uh, to the folks who run the network um, and they'll just give me a new card and they'll be they'll be that and I'll, I'll resume my my exploring activities. Um, but it turns out actually no, they, the port was dead because I was disconnected from the network. Um, because somebody had figured out that I was I was you know looking around a little bit too uh, with a bit too much curiosity, and they decided to to you know turn me off. Um, and the person, one of the persons who, uh, one of the people who is in, in sort of um, part of that decision is actually the CEO of Datadog. So I I met him, unbeknownst to both of us, um, we met. I don't know, 20, 20 plus years, 22, 23 years ago. Um, uh, me hacking, if you will, and, and he policing my my behavior. Um, but then, uh, and then that that was that, you know, that's that's the, if you will, the genesis of Datadog 25 years ago. Um, and then we we met again by chance uh, in New York, actually. This was, there was some somewhat random. Um, he, uh, in turn, also in the same program, the, though a couple of years later, uh, and so we started to work together. Uh, so we had met um, unofficially a few years before during that sort of hacking incident, um, and then then we started to work together. and And we've been working, um, he and I, almost continuously ever since. Not not you know not quite true. There were a few gaps, but but fundamentally, he's somebody I've, I've known for a long time. So. 
during that long collaboration, at some point emerged the idea of Datadog. And that was, I'd say 2009, so 10, 10 odd years ago. Um, that's when, that's when really Datadog became an idea before it became a thing in a company, it, it, it started as an idea. So were you guys like hanging out after work hours, like conceptualizing? Yeah. Pretty much. Um, you know, in 2009, AWS had already come out with um, uh, AC2, S3, and, and a couple of other services, but the the level of sophistication and the, the level of power that you could, that they would provide was just not quite good enough for what was then the traditional, you know, enterprise workload. But it had that promise of being able to think about compute in a fairly different way. And I'll, I'll give you a bit more context. Back then, so about 10 years ago, um, so both he and I were working together in a, in a SaaS company in education. Um, and the, this was a thing for, for both of us, uh, really interesting informative years. Um, it was our first real SaaS experience, and it was so it was early two thousand, you know, two thousand one through basically the first decade. Um, uh, and it it sort of taught us the um, some of the some of the lessons on on how to run um, a SaaS service. And so one of the lessons was, well, you need. Uh, you need compute, uh, compute power. Back then, we had data centers and you know collocations, and um, and it took time to provision that compute power, and that that I think got us uh, interested in in the cloud and its potential. The second thing it taught us is, um, and this was fairly new. SaaS was um, was teaching us that in order to run the service properly, you need all the stars to be aligned. You need the code to run, you know, you need good code to be delivered. You need the code to run properly. You need people to react to uh, failures and errors. Um, and it's, it ends up being much more of a team sport than um, what software engineering had been before, which was, you know, you, you build, and we did that uh, prior also in the prior years is you build some software, you put it in a CD, you ship the CD, you're done. And you never really see it again. And then just kind of move on to the next thing. I think SaaS broke that um, completely and and it had some good and some bad, you know, bad effects. The, the good effect is I think there, um, it, uh, it made it so that there is there's no more like oh this is maintenance work because maintenance work and new feature work is one and the same and so that that that's been positive. The difficult part about SaaS is like you have to be running twenty four seven and that's something that's it's difficult for you know an organization cannot improvise itself as a SaaS um, you know as a SaaS I guess organization uh, overnight it just it just takes time now. Um, in the context of the of the founding of Datadog, where with SaaS, you know, I, I with SaaS requiring um, SaaS being a team sport, what we saw is that the team was didn't exist per se. You had Dev and Ops, and there were two different groups, and they didn't collaborate together, um, and that that was an issue because the, the quality of service does suffer if both groups don't work hand in hand. Um, and so that what it gave us as, a, as an insight is we need both groups of people who have maybe different day, 
day-to-day um, you know, lives, but nonetheless congregate to make the service successful, we need to give them a sort of a common reality. We need to give them the same data so that they can look at and understand the, the, the health of the service, the health of a particular component, the health of a particular system, you know, particular, I don't know, anything from the ground up, they have to be able to look at and and understand whether that's working properly or not, because ultimately every, not everything has to work properly for the SaaS, uh, for the service to be delivered properly, but you need kind of the baseline of things to operate as design um, to, be, to be able to, to move forward. So um, for us to give analytics visualizations, like for people to be able to see things, that was, that was particularly important, I think. Um, we didn't quite know at the time, and so when we went to, you know, uh, when we discussed with our very first uh, users and, and um, potential users, I think we, we thought, oh, they already got that visualization stuff. It's not going to be interesting to them. We're just going to move straight to the, you know, deep and the statistical uh, or machine learning processing. And that's going to be what's going to be, you know, what's going to resonate with them. But actually... At least back in in the late, you know, in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, there was still the need for people to be able to see the data about their service, about their infrastructure, about their application. They, in a number of cases, it was that too was siloed. The teams were siloed. The tools were siloed. So you couldn't get a complete picture. Whether the complete picture, it made you know thinking about the problem globally very difficult. And, and thus, the quality of service ultimately suffered for, if you didn't have a, a unified view, just that you can see things, um, you couldn't think about that. And that's, that's I guess, you know, that's how, how we, we are as, um, as human beings. Like, it helps tremendously to be able to visualize something and it, it helps you mental model, if you will. Yeah, we're hugely vision oriented. I want to uh, get this part of the conversation because I was really curious about it. Um, because you guys, you know, you provide so many analytics, uh, you obviously are involved with the open source community to some degree, but like, what is your relationship like with the open source communities? So it's been one where um, that's largely driven, you know, by, I think, some level of pragmatism uh, and some level of, um, you know, let's say, goodwill. Uh, the pragmatism is the, the decision we made as a SaaS provider is to say, well, look, we're going to... Uh, instrument your your application and your infrastructure fairly deeply uh, will need to you will need to run some of your code you know inside your you know perimeter I'm not real perimeter but you know on your stuff um, and there is no it's a lot easier for us to say look all the stuff you're going to run from us will be open source um, from a security and uh, safety and trust perspective, it's particularly important. Now, that doesn't mean that all customers will, nef- uh, will necessarily look at every single line of code we, we give them, but nonetheless, they can always do so. Um, and so that's, that's where, that's the pragmatism um, in, in us saying it makes sense. And then there's the recognition that we run, our backend systems are, you know, largely based on open source components. You know, we run Linux, so we run a number of you know, SQL databases, NoSQL databases. Um, we're in our own our own code as well, but it's it's really a mix. And so, um, 
you know, we're trying to to be mindful of that and um, you know, and support things wherever it makes sense, whenever we can. We're um, fairly involved in various, uh, you know, CNCF uh, projects or um, open telemetry. I mean, th there's there's a number of, of collective efforts we want to be involved in, not for not necessarily for the sake of um, because you know because we think it's cool. I think it, because we think it's useful, and, and partially because we think. Um, it's, you know, we need to give back in, in a way that makes sense. There is like, I, I love the, the companies that contribute with purpose to open source, right? Because it's so useful. And I really like that you guys are out there doing that. But like, you're not just doing it just because it's cool to contribute. You're doing it with like a purpose, like in a purposeful way. Yes, I think for the effort to be sustainable, it has to be, um, it has to be that way. Otherwise, you know the risk is, you know, I don't know. The mood changes, or and then and then that that support goes away. So I think it's it's never as effective as when it is purposeful and it, it it's it's useful both to the company as well as to its customers and and hopefully to the ecosystem at large. So what are your like objectives? Like it's the new year, right? What's going on? Like what are you pumped about in 2020? So 2020, or um, it's a, it's the first you know full year um, of Datadog as a public company, uh, and so that is we we went public last September, um, and that's gonna be that's pretty exciting. Uh, it's 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 challenging. It's um, it. We'll, we'll see. You know, it's it's hard to say what will what will um, pan out. Generally speaking, um, I think what we've always believed and we've we've communicated and shared that with everybody in the company is is um, while it's an interesting validation, you know, external validation going public and so on, um, the 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 day to day doesn't really change. The 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 focus was back then on the customers. He is still on the customer. Will be on the customer because that that ultimately is hugely important. What makes a company? It's you know customers, um, employees, and then at some point, yes, you need capital. But that's that's I think comes as as a distant third. Um, so that's there's a level of excitement and and. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to 2020, but also I know it'll have its, you know, its its uh, share of challenges, and and um, there'll be the good days, the the hard days. Um, so, it, you know, uh, the, the as the, as the French expression goes, you know, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. So, the more it changes, the more it's the same. I think that that's particularly true. Um, there's, I'm excited about seeing. You know, we've we've been We've grown the team. It's been almost ten years, or um, and it's been always amazing to see people evolve with the company. And much like I think the the company we worked for before Datadog was, I think to both my co-founder and I, um, the formative years. Um, I think it's that's my my dearest hope is is for a number of people Datadog is their formative years and that's and that's been true i think and at least um for for some people and that's been a delight to to watch that's exciting that you guys went public back in september i'm going to go buy some datadog stock 
Well, I, I, I cannot say anything for or against that. So um, <laughs> yeah, you'll have to you'll have to make your your own decision there. That's right. But it's cool because you got the stock symbol D Dog. I like looked it up. I yes. was like, oh, this is awesome! Congratulations. I was just talking with um, DraftKings, who's out in New York too, and they said that they just announced like last week that they're IPOing somehow. Yeah, I think through like an acquisition strategy. I'm not 100% sure, but I was talking with them and it was um, public uh, news as of like last week. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Do you, do you know those guys over there at DraftKings? Uh, yeah, they happen to be um, uh, some of our customers. Um, oh, cool. We have a number of customers in, in New York in particular. So um, yeah, so we've, you know, we've, we've had them as customers for, for quite some time. Are you proud that like, you've become like the product that, that you help build and the company helped build has become like a standard, like everybody knows Datadog. They like use Datadog. You could get, I mean, it's just like, it's a really good product. It's a well-designed UI. It's a well-designed user experience. Like I was a fan of it when Chloe told me, she's like, Hey, we could have Datadog on the show. I was like, that is very exciting for me because <laughs> my background is, is engineering. And so uh, like, congratulations on building, building something amazing. Well, thank you. Um, I, I'll say, you know, the, the interesting thing about this whole journey is um, when I, when I think, when people ask, Hey, how's you, you know, essentially a variation of the question, either it's building the product from the ground up or becoming a law larger company so how does it feel like as you know what, what's and the, the interesting thing is to me it feels very much like when you're when you're between you know let's say six years old and 12 um and i you know i at least I, that's how it felt to me is from from within you know it's it's of course there are changes but they're slow and gradual and every you you're not waking up, you know, at, at, at ten, when you're 10, you know, one day it's like, wow, I'm so different from who I was the day before. I mean, it, maybe some people do, but at least I didn't. Um, but then in, in, in the eyes of parents, of course, you know, from six to 12, it's a, it's a massive transformation. And so that, that's always made it difficult for me to answer that question. It's like, how does it feel? Well, it feels like, you know, just, come in day after day, solve the problem of the day and move on and, and, and show up the next day. That's really how, how it feels. And then once in a while, yes, you'd sort of look back uh, and you look at the path, um, you know, the, the path traveled and, um, you know, you give, I think you can give yourself a half a second of, oh, okay, cool. And that's, you know, it's like you're, you're hiking and then you're, you're taking, you're stopping at a viewpoint, you're taking stocks like, wow, this is really, it's worth the trip. I think that's mostly that. Um, but then you, you, you know, you walk on. Um, and so, um, it, it, it's always difficult, um, for me to feel, you know, anything that, uh, of a milestone, if you will, it's much more, it's, it's a growing thing. I see, I see its imperfections, you know, if anything, uh, more than what works. Um, and, and that's, I think that that's maybe the, um, the condition of of having worked on something on on something fairly singular you know the kind of the same thing for for so long is you're you're sort of you get you gotten also so accustomed to it that you're not you're not realizing necessarily that said um i was at uh at reinvent last month and this is always very energizing because you have new customers 
all I mean, uh, existing customers, new customers, prospects that come by, and then you just you know you can sense the excitement and the energy, and that's very that's very positive. And this is why um, we made the decision early on to send people who actually build the product to the trade show, and it's something that typically um, in, in normal companies or larger companies that's you know this would be the marketing department that goes to trade shows because that fits more the, the description for us it's been no 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 you're you're going to meet customers you're going to meet users you're going to you're going to demo the product which will maybe feel um uh, intimidating uh, if you're not particularly you know uh, uh let's say extroverted or not particularly driven by or excited by that but actually everybody i think warms up to it and everybody kind of uh, gets that energy, gets that excitement and, and that builds up and everybody comes, you know, uh, I think uh, comes out of reInvent really tired because it's a lot of work, but it's also really energized. No, and I, and I like that you do that too, because I've, I see, I've seen a lot of people be resistant to it because they're like, oh no, I'm a INTJ, whatever their acronym is, right? Like, oh, oh I'm, I'm this, or, I'm, or they build up the reasons about why they, they wouldn't want to go do that or couldn't do that. Yeah. But it's like every, all the humans have the capacity inside. It's like, you know, no one's a runner until there's a tiger behind them, right? Yeah, that's right. Like, then you're a runner. But if you, so I think like people have that capacity. So if they tap into that, it's actually really valuable for them to to have that relationship with the customer, to to see it through their eyes, and then they'll come back with insights. And and for you, when when you do that, it keeps your product like right on the cutting edge because you have these people who are uh, influencing the decisions and the directions of the product, engaging directly with the customers. Yeah, that's right. That that's exactly right. And that's that puts a face also to um, you know to who's using your product and. Um, one of the the other well, one of the many many lessons we've learned, I think, in in, in the, this journey is um, the the customer. So you know, you you serve you serve customers, um, you know, day in day out. There'll be number of successes. There'll be a number of failures. We will, you know, will trip once in a while, and that's you know that's what it is. I mean, there's no uh, not not something we're looking forward to, but nonetheless, something that happens. And we've seen time and again, initially, our, um, we've seen time and again, customers maybe who were frustrated initially, um, but rather than treat that as, oh my God, there's an angry customer, what do we do? Let's run away. I think we, we conversely try to run towards um, a situation like that um, because we recognize that somebody who's frustrated and angry is somebody who cares. Now, it'd be better if they were happy and this is our chance to make them happy in the end. But nonetheless, um, the, I think the death of, a, of any service is, is just having users who don't care. It's like you, they effectively put your stuff you know, up on the shelf and never look at it again. That is, that is, that is death for, for SaaS. Um, happy customers are great. I and mean, you know, Don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, first-week customers are um, they're, they're for us a uh, an opportunity to make things right, you know, and so that's the that's been an important lesson for me, at least personally, throughout the years, is to recognize um, to to recognize that that is it's for us to to rectify. And the reality is, I think you know, in a, in any normal you know relationship, if if you're frustrated, someone helps you, even if the person 
you know, you associate it with a person with the source of frustration. If the person is able to, to fix, you know, make the pain go away, uh, uh, alleviate the frustration, you're naturally will, you know, resume your, your sort of revert back to, an, you know, sort of much more positive interaction. And that's been something that, um, that we've seen time and again. And that, that's, that's important. So when we put engineers in front of customers, you know, through trade shows and sometimes through a number of customer meetings, um, sometimes the, the interaction can start um, a little bit tense. And that, that's happened. Uh, and it is, we always see it as this is, this is our chance to make it right. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's our, that this is the glass half full, um, I think, view of, of customer service is, is we, if we messed up at one point, then we can, we can fix and correct. And you need a lot of great people to do that, right? Like you have to have great people at your core. What's your strategy for, for developing or, you know, recruiting new talent? It's, um, that's a great question. And this is, I think, ultimately um, one of the, one of the key uh, elements of, of, generally fast-growing companies. So if you think about fast-growing companies that have a sort of viable business, um, what they've sold already is building something that, that people, that customers want. And so when, when that's solved, what remains is, you know, how do you, how do you grow? How do you keep growing? How do you control your growth? How do you bring great people in so that you can continue to, to execute at the same level? Um, and that's a really difficult question. So I don't, you know, I don't really have um, a silver bullet there. The, we we tried to do a couple of things. One is, um, you know, around sourcing. We tr you know try to to be fairly broad. We we have uh, offices in a number of places around the world. So it's trying to tap the you know the global talent as opposed to being just focused on one particular area. The other thing is um, throughout the, the hiring process, um, we try to keep it as repeatable as possible, as structured and repeatable as possible so that everybody effectively for the same job goes through the same process with the same questions, more or less. There's always going to be variability between, you know, the interviewer, the interviewee, and so on. So that's, that's life. There's nothing we can, we can do about it. But, but at least we try to eliminate, you know, sort of um, improvisation of, of interview questions and stuff like that, because that, that makes the, the, the ultimate decision really difficult to make. If, if everything is variable, then, you know, what can you, what signal can you drive? Um, we also try to give people a sense of what it is they'll, they'll be doing. And ideally they can give us a sense um, of what they can achieve as well. And the analogy that I have is um, if you're, if you want to open a restaurant, um, you know, you're, Let's say you're providing capital and you've found a place and so on. You have an idea of a theme. Uh, at some point, you need people to cook, right? And so um, you're going to talk to people. You're going to, you know, source uh, and so on. But ultimately, you'll make, likely you'll make part of your decision based on, well, just please cook a meal for me. And then that'll tell me if that, that you know, matches the idea that I have for that restaurant. And so for us, it's a little bit the same. It's like, can we give you maybe in a contrived fashion, something for you to do that mirrors what it is that you'll be doing in your job. Not as, of course, not in full depth, not in full breadth, but just, you know, so if you're, if you're tasked with, um, 
if, if most of your job you're going to be writing code and working with others, then can we think of a um, of a sort of contrived example where, well, can you give us some code? You know, can you write some code for for us in the context of this? Or if you've maybe you've already written extensively, you know, ex code extensively and it's available on GitHub, then we'll take that. So we're not going to you know force you through the to, through the contrived exercise. But the idea is that um, we want to separate how um, in the hiring process. Uh, ways where we get signal about what you can do and ways where we get signal about who you are, how you behave in a, you know, sort of in a group. And so these are, are fairly distinct um, questions we're trying to answer about new candidates. And then we, you know, we go through the hiring process, we make a decision, you know, we, we offer a job, job's accepted. Then we work, we continue to work for, for at least 90 days to figure out, you know, constant check-ins, like how is it going? Is this, is this what you expected as a, as a new hire? Um, is what you expected to do? Is this, and conversely, um, is, you know, are, is Datadog the right place for you? So we, we, we sort of each, you know, both parties sort of assess continuously. And after three months, usually you sort of kind of know, you know, where you, where you are. And, and um, in the vast majority of cases, people are just happy and, and, um, and continue to refer their friends and so on. So that, that's particularly important. But, but you're right. It is um, attracting and retaining great talent is, is essential. It's, it's, the, um, it's as important as uh, serving customers, building great product. So what are some of the, the behaviors that you value? What are some of the things that you value? Um, we, that, that's always a, it's, it's a deceptively simple, but very profound question in the sense that, um, and, and I think you framed it exactly right. Um, we, we don't have what we call values or, you know, uh, a number of companies have that. Um, and this is born out of the belief that in, of all the companies, um, or let me, of all companies that have values, a number of them will act you know, poorly, and they have great sounding values, but they will not live up to their values. So at some point, um, uh, we said, you know what, rather than saying, well, it will be this and that and this and that, how about we try to think about how we behave? And this is um, how we work together, how we work as individuals, how we solve problems. Um, and so that's that's a little bit more actionable for people also. So some of the things we um, some of the behaviors we value highly is the absence of of BS um, in in normal interactions. And so we uh, I think we like when people say you know things directly and um, without embellishment. Um, use you know simple words to convey simple ideas. Um, that's important. We like when people, when they don't know, they say, "I don't know." I can. I, I think the next thing is they could say, "But I can find out." And here's how I, I I plan to find out. But it's not a. It's it's okay to not know. I mean, nothing, right? Nobody knows everything. That that's totally fine. I think um, so. Honesty, just 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 having people having honest, you know, just direct conversations. I think is easier. Um, uh, we like people to be pragmatic. And so pragmatism um, in the context, for instance, the context of software uh, means sort of starting from the problem and going to the solution, not starting from the solution and going to the problem. And, and so ways, sort of non-pragmatic um, behaviors can be 
<coughs> let's say, a bit more ideological. Somebody thinks that you know, this piece of technology is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you know they're totally entitled to their opinion. That's fine, um, but that doesn't mean that they, this is the basis for a decision to use, you know, database X or framework Y or you know ID, you know VI versus Emacs, things like that. This is, um, uh, you know, I think we we want to tied back to what is the problem we're trying to solve and ultimately is what is the customer how does solving this problem helps the customer how does it help the customer that is the thing that we we try to never lose track of right so to not get not get uh, fall in love with the particular problem technical problem we're trying to solve or um, how are we going to solve it um, particularly if if it's material to the customer it's it may be a worthwhile problem in its own right but it's just not the right context for, for us to solve that problem. So, um, and, um, you know, we, generally speaking, I think there's a lot of, you know, choice for, for people in industry, you know, of, of employers. So we want people who, who want to be here, you know, who want to, who are sort of, I'd say, driven, generally speaking, driven, not, not, not passionate, like, because I think it's a different thing, but, but driven by, you know, excited by, by the day to day, that's that's the that's the important thing. I'll take passionate people as well, but I think it's um, I, I've always felt uncomfortable when when it sounds like you have it has to be your passion for you to be able to succeed in this this company. What we do is monitoring and analytics for software you know software stacks. I doubt that there's that many people in the world who wake up in the morning and say this is what I've been waiting my entire life to do. And that's fine. That doesn't have to be. For me, in the in my prior life, um, when I was working in education, uh, SAS for education, like I, you know, this was not my calling to work in education world. It's it. I supported the you know the cause and so on, but it was I was not passionate about it. There were passionate people about it, but I was not one of them. But I think I still what I liked about the environment back then it, it let me still grow and develop and that's exactly what we want to be for for people here as well you don't we ask that you be um committed and driven to to do what you have to do but you, that has to be a passion you don't have to you know wake up sunday morning and say oh i can't wait to you know write code on what it is i'm working at work that that doesn't have to be you you know you're perfectly fine uh it's perfectly okay to have different different uh, different passions you know in, in life that's that's fine yeah and they and they change and evolve as humans do right that's right like your new parent right all of a sudden you've got some family passion in you right yeah 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 and i can speak of experience there so oh, yes. yeah <laughs> how many kids do you have I have two kids, two two small, two 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 little girls. Um, they're just still, you know, two and four. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's another amazing uh, adventure, but probably not um, not so relevant for this podcast. No, it's perfectly relevant. People love it. There, I think people in technology have children. I hope yes. they do. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, I have two under two, so I've got a, a well, I've got. A, two and a half year old girl. And then I've got a 10 month old baby oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yes, it is a lot of work. It is. An, it's, it's an incredible amount of work. And the interesting thing is for me, it was, um, it, it had the, 
an effect that he did not anticipate before before they were born is um, in the early years of the company um, one of the one of the things that I find difficult about uh, about startups is they consume all your mental space they don't necessarily consume all your time but they consume all your, your mental space you that's all you really think about and it's this is difficult for people around you um, they don't you know sort of they don't it's hard for them to relate and you know and then you sort of don't really it takes extra effort to to kind of include people in and say well this is what i'm going through this is why i'm you know kind of if i sit at the dinner table and i'm sort of gazing in the you know in space um it's because maybe there's a problem i'm, I'm thinking through um now with kids, when the kids arrive, that that sort of went out of the window really quickly because they they obviously you know require demand and require rightly so much attention that um, that it creates for me at least it created created a sense of balance that was maybe not there before and so um, that was unexpected but but I think it was um, you know it's great this is no it's I cannot imagine you know going through um, you know the growing the company with with other kids um and that's yeah that's i'm really grateful for that yeah i was listening to um one of the leadership authors i think john maxwell and it was just in like a private interview deal it wasn't like in one of his audible books or anything but he was talking about specifically like his grandkids or his nephews or something he said i the rule of thumb i have is when they come up and they interrupt me and i'm working that i will pay attention to them every time that they interrupt me because what he found out through like measuring it is that they only ever have like a two minute attention span. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So like when they come up to you and like, I've been good about developing this habit of, you know, when, when the two, two and a half year old comes up to me, Aria, and she's, she's like, daddy, daddy. I'm like, all right, let's go. What, what do you want? Like, let's do it. Like, let's, let's go fairy tale, crush a mountain, monster truck jam, chase you, you chase me, whatever you want. Cause inevitably it lasts two minutes and it's the equivalent of like for me going out and taking a walk and it clears my mind, helps me solve the problem. Yep. So I just, just, I made like a core decision after hearing that, that like I, I will adopt that like fundamentally as part of who I am because yeah. I don't want to be the, I don't want in her memory for me to be the one that she's always like pulling on my Sure, and me ignoring her, yeah, um, because it's so easy to do. It's like our, yeah. it's like my, it's my default because I'm in somewhere else in my head. Yeah, know? yeah, that's very wise, dude. We're getting some good stuff. See, we go down this kid path. <laughs> teaches you a lot. Teaches you a lot about AI too. I'm like, give these computers a break. These these little creatures, man, they're processing with billions of neurons for hundreds of waking hours before they even yeah. realize their feet exist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That that in itself is a. Uh, it's it's an amazing process. It's um, yeah. It's 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 funny. Yeah, how how you never you never remember. You, know, you obviously don't remember those important years, but that's when you when you watch the kids, um, you know, grow up and go through that. It's like wow. This um, it's it's awesome. It's like it's completely mind boggling. Like development language. You know, just moving around talking forming you know having conversations the world they see and oftentimes i've found um they see things like they 
we don't, as adults, we don't really see things anymore. It's all for a number of reasons, but it's all filtered. And but I remember when my kids, when I walk around the neighborhood with my kids, it's like they put, oh, there's this. It's like, wait, what? Where? You know, I don't know. They see a bird somewhere, and yes, there's a bird, or they see something that's interesting. But I've that I've sort of edited out because it's half of it is. You know, me thinking about some other problem and, and or, you know, walking around and kind of reading the signs subconsciously and, and ignoring half of it. Um, but but they, they see everything. And that's, that's amazing. It's like with the Christmas lights, we took them around the neighborhood to, to see. The, and she just wanted to go run up on the lawns. And I'm like, oh, you have to understand that there's this invisible barrier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, can't, you can't go up into these people's property and start, you know, petting their 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 inflatable unicorn christmas yeah, unicorn yeah yeah, yeah they, they teach you profound stuff too oh this is good so, so as we start to wrap up here let's say some people are listening and they're like they love the they value what you value right you, you mentioned honest honesty a little bit of transparency pragmatism like being real focusing on customer value um let's see they're just like they're driven they like to wake up uh craftsmanship they like to do quality work and yep. that sounds like it aligns with with datadog quite a bit yep. right so like, how do they go? Where's your career page? Like, how do they go learn more about this? So, you know, datadog.com slash careers. I think that's, that's where they start. Um, we, um, there's a number of, you know, openings by function, by city and so on, uh, by country. Um, and then they, they apply. so everything flows through the same, you know, system. So there's no, there's no, no fast track, no special way to get in and so on. You, I think you apply. Um, when you refer um, internally, even so, the referral will go through the exact same system, um, you know. And then, then we're so the mechanics of the process will will unfold. But fundamentally, I think um, we're we're trying to have uh, to to understand who a particular candidate is in in terms of what they can do, what you know, why they applied. Um, how they how they think how they function and that's it's a fairly it, it's not um you know we we try not to have like any brain teasers and stuff like that it's uh, all the questions we ask tend to be you know related to you know software engineering well how you know how you write software um for instance um it, it's fairly and kind of want people to you know be themselves um you know kind of think about um, you know, behave in a way that's going to be as close as possible as, as how they'll be once they join. And I, I know, you know, you go to an interview, you're nervous, it's normal. Um, it's, you know, I've been through that. It's not, it's never, we try to make it as pleasant as possible. We try to make it as conversational as possible. We try to make it as, you know, as, as close as possible as it will be once you join and you have, let's say, a whiteboard discussion with a colleague and you're trying to solve a problem. So this is really the, the, the mode of operation we have. Um, and I, yeah, obviously encourage you know, people who, who think um, what we have to, to build and what we have to solve is, is valuable you know, to, to, to apply. Now, do you blog or you, you go around, you do some talking at conferences and stuff, right? Um, yeah, so I think as a group, we, um, we, we're fairly active on the conference, um, you know, in conferences. We have an engineering blog. Um, we have now, also- What about you? You. Oh, you. myself. People like, um, people like you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, 
I so truth be told, not as much as I um, as I used to for one thing, and I think the you know to some extent the the, the being a parent has played into that. Um, I also um, I don't you know I I want others to be the voice of the company. I don't. I mean, I want, I can be a voice in a company, that's fine, you know, but, but I, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't like companies where, um, you know, let's say founders are, are lion eyes and this is something, you know, this is so special about them and so on, because I, I don't think that's, I don't think it's very healthy. And, and, um, and so the, and, you know, it's, uh, sometimes I have inter- I think I have interesting things to say. Sometimes I also have oh, I think you boring do. things to say. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I, um, I, I've always been a little bit, uh, you know, shy in a sense about, you know, putting things out there because I, I, I time, the time of, you know, your audience is limited. There's, um, they should only, if, if I write something, it should be worth, you know, worth their while. And that's what I think that's, that, always set me back a little bit and say um you know should i do i have really something that's both crisp and interesting to say that that's always been a little bit difficult and and i think in a um what i found is in a conversation like this um it's it's a lot easier for me to uh you know to uh, open up if you will you know whatever it's it, it is yeah fun. Talk, um, talk about what you enjoy and like yeah. what you know and and if you if you talk about what you enjoy and what you know then you win either way regardless of how the outside world sees it like you win because you have to wake up that day share share some of your experience do something you enjoy doing and i love the fact that you mentioned that you enjoy like empowering others and helping them rise up and develop their voice i mean that's like a super attractive you know feature something that you like it sounds like the way you looked on look on your face when you said you like to help other people and you know and, and their voices like that's a really cool honorable thing I, I like that okay well that's i'll i'll can make that one of my new year's resolution is to you know to communicate more definitely share more with the you know with the, with the rest of the world uh, i'll i accept that so so as we wrap up here do you know daily motion yes do you know guillaume I don't think so, actually. Guillaume's uh, been there for a while, and um, he goes between uh, France and New York, NYC. Yeah. And he's just like, man, this guy, like, <laughs> yeah, you, I, I would suggest that you listen to the podcast I have with him because, man, he's got just this like unbelievable original like thoughts and content nonstop. I'm like, it's, it's, this guy was just unbelievable. And so because... Um, you have that background, uh, France, and then New York City, and then he does. Uh, I figure I'll connect the two of you, and uh, you guys may, you know, do something awesome together. Yeah, or at least have yeah. a good conversation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, with pleasure. Yeah. All right. So I'll connect you with Guillaume, uh, and then we'll we'll tell put in the show notes for everyone about the Datadog Career sites. So they can go do their best best work there Thank with you, you and. And develop their voice there as well so that's exciting and then if you uh, need anything at all if i can ever help or bring you value in in any way maybe you just want to call up and talk about kids and technology (laughs) feel free my friend the door is always open thank you very much thank you joel all right talk soon happy new year bye-bye